it's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really sad. And welcome back to a very powerful and special episode of the Reboot Deboot podcast. I'm your co-host, Griffin. I'm your other co-host, Alex, here, ready. Alex, you know what today is? Friday. Today marks the 100th episode of Reboot Deboot, bud. All right, and that. It's still Friday. Wah, 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 wah. Huh? Big round of applause, Alex. We did it, man. We got to 100 episodes. Three years. Over 190 movies and TV shows watched, cataloged, analyzed, broken down, understood. I don't know if I understood. Well, yeah, most of them. (laughs) There were some genuine puzzlers in there. And more puzzlers to come as the year goes on. We've got so many movies coming out, so many TV shows and movies that are being remade uh, that have been remade. Um, it's good. Like going forward, what are your expectations for the podcast, man? Uh, what I don't, I feel like to continue to talk about movies. I don't really know. I'll like, I just want the crow to come out. <laughs> well, we got the crow coming out. We got Roadhouse coming out. We got Nosferatu coming out. (laughs) I don't care about. I don't give a shit about Roadhouse. What do you mean? It's Swayze. I haven't seen the original. Not really a Patrick Swayze guy. How dare you? I hope maybe though. Maybe if they remake it with random Europeans like Point Break, be into it. (laughs) No, it's Conor McGregor and Jake Gyllenhaal. Conor McGregor, like the MMA guy. Yeah. Isn't he like a terrible asshole? He just like beat up random people. I cannot comment on that. I cannot confirm or him? deny. He doesn't know who the fuck you are. I am not. I'm just saying I cannot confirm or deny because I don't know which allegations are true or not. Okay. I mean, I think he. Like, like that's why I cannot confirm or deny. People outside of the ring. I I believe, I believe he assaulted an old man. Yeah, but I don't. I I I think it was an old man. I think it was somewhere. It might have been in Ireland. I don't know. Um, I know that he threw a a dolly or some shit through uh, a tour bus of his opponent years ago. Um, I'm looking at pictures of this guy. Like the 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 idea that he might be a total asshole is just the least surprising. This is a real. Sometimes you can judge a book by its cover situation, <laughs> right? But yeah, so Conor McGregor and Jake Gyllenhaal are going to be in the uh, Roadhouse remake. Scarsgard, <laughs> Bill, you know him better as uh, you know Pennywise, the dancing clown. He is going to be Eric Draven in the Crow remake, and he's also going to be. Uh, the Count in Nosferatu is reading. But a movie that hasn't been remade, uh, I watched The Birdcage last night. Oh, cool. That that feels like it would have been remade. 
That's fun. Well, no, isn't it a remake of a French movie anyway? <laughs> It, so. <laughs> it, it is a remake of it. Well, I mean, that one, ha- it hasn't been remade since. Okay. <laughs> um, but yes, it is a remake of a French movie that came out 30 or 40 years before it. Yeah. Um, so Alicia was like, I want to watch a comedy. So stuck on the birdcage. It is rare that you see a movie with Robin Williams where he gets outshined. And let like, me tell you, Nathan, Nathan, Lane. Lane yeah. fu- Nathan Lane is a fucking treasure. He is so good. Hank Azaria, too. It's a, honestly, the movie holds up. I thought it would become problematic. It is actually not problematic. The son is a massive Just asshole. Dude's but... doing drag. Nothing fun times. It's it's okay. really good. What's that movie with Hugo Weaving where him and some drag queens like drive a bus across the desert in Australia? You know what I'm... I do not know, but I know Tu Wong Fu thanks for everything, Julie Neymar. The Adventures Patrick of Priscilla, Swayze, Wesley... Queen of the Desert. Oh, Priscilla, Queen of... Hugo Weaving's in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? Yeah, he's like... Well, I haven't... He, <laughs> I is, he's Priscilla? Priscilla? No, it's, I think Priscilla's oh, the shit. bus, I think. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen I haven't the movie, seen it, so... I really good things. Okay. Yeah, no, I... Uh, maybe I'll watch that then tonight. <sighs> I don't know what, what about you, man? You you watching anything? Uh, I watched Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, the Studio Ghibli movie. Pretty good, fun. Mm-hmm. They always do a really good job with their. Uh, I don't know. So this one's from like the late '80s. I don't know if Disney was still doing the American uh, like localizations for them back then. They get really fun act. These are like the one situation where I don't mind regular actors doing voice actor stuff because they got such they got such interesting people to be. So like Edward James almost was a main character, um, Patrick Stewart was another main character, and Mark Hamill shows up for like five minutes in it. It's pretty fun, uh, and Uma Thurman in it too. Shia LaBeouf, but you're probably less compelled by that than the other ones. I mean, I'm not a, you know, LeBuff. Were you one of the people stealing his art sign? No, I was not. I just kind of, I'm, you know, he's in a movie, he's not in a movie, he freaks out, it's whatever. I like that. He he lied about about his dad being abusive for, for an autobiography. Pretty weird. Um, I watched that. I feel like I watched something else, but I can't remember what it was. Finished that first season of Monarch, Legacy of Monsters. Oh, yeah. The uh, Apple TV show. Yeah. Starring Kurt Russell and his son, Wyatt Russell. Hmm. Was it good? Good. Yeah. Yeah, it's Godzilla stuff, so I'm all about that. And you see Godzilla, Um, right? Yeah, you multiple times. Okay. I watched that Zach Efron and Jeremy Allen White movie, The Iron Claw. Oh yeah, about the uh, the wrestling brothers. The Von Erichs, yeah. It is as depressing as you would expect. Lots of lots of good brotherhood stuff though, right? Uh before the depressing stuff, yes. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean other than God, what was I can't remember anyone's name. There is a Ready to Rumble? Was that the movie? 
with uh, <laughs> with David Arquette. David Arquette. That's the and Diamond Dallas the Page. Comedy movie. I was trying to. I was like, there's not a lot of happy movies. Like, not a lot of happy, honest movies about wrestling. Like, there's this, like the Von Eric Brothers. There's the Wrestler, which like just starts depressing. Um, <laughs> right. But that, isn't Rumble Jack is Black like a? No, that was Mickey. Isn't Jack Black in like a? Oh, no, no, no. Jack Black has like a wrestling movie. <laughs> He's, he has Nacho Libre. Is that what you're thinking of? Oh, is that a, isn't he supposed to be like a luchador or something in that? Yeah, he is. But it's also like, it's, it's very, it's way more of a comedy. But he plays a, like a Jesuit priest monk guy who uh, gets into <laughs> luchador wrestling <laughs> to, <laughs> to help keep an orphanage open. Oh, okay. Weird. But yeah, uh, Iron Claw. Really good, but really fucking depressing. Alright. Right on. Um, but, uh, enough of all this small talk, because we are not a casual conversation podcast. Uh, Alex, we have a very special episode today. Why don't you tell our audience, our hearers, our fans across the globe, why? Didn't you? I feel like at the end of the last one you said why. We're doing a we're doing an award show, people. Um, the rebooties. Yep. And some debooties in there. And some debooties. Um. Uh, play us in. With that being said, do we want to? Uh, yeah, slip into our tuxes and enter okay. through the the uh, you know. Sure. All right. <laughs> Be proud of yourself. You deserve an award. Not this one, obviously. This one belongs to me, but some other one. Some other lesser award. Finally, I want to thank God. Because God gave me this Dundee. And I feel God in this Chili's tonight. <laughs> And welcome to the first annual Rebooties. <laughs> I, <laughs> I really the people are eager. <laughs> okay. Uh so Alex, are you excited for tonight? Uh I am interested to see <laughs> if we pick too many categories or not. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, man. Look, we've been doing this for three years, and at the very start of the podcast, what did, like, where did you think we would be in three years? Did you think we'd still be doing it? Uh, what were your expectations for the movies, um, as a general, like, Um, whole? I'm gonna live in the moment, gay. I'm not really looking, not looking ahead. Um, the movies, I think, have stayed largely the same. And also... I think there may be, I don't want to say a moral panic, but this, oh, Hollywood only remakes movies now. They don't do anything original. I feel like this has been true since the 60s, at least. And <laughs> maybe since movies started. <laughs> maybe there was like a 10-year period when they were all shooting, you know, just like jockeys running around. They There was a fully new medium. Um, But I think... 
<laughs> the remakes. You know, it, 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 it's things. true. There are people who say, you know, Hollywood, I remember hearing this even in the early thousands, like Hollywood's running out of ideas, but a bulk of our movies, we've done over, we've seen over 190 movies, right? Like this is our hundredth episode, but each one of those is two, like two movies or like sometimes we'll do like two or three or a TV yeah, show. Averages out the, um, two things. And a lot of them are, you know, this is when movie was originally made in the sixties and then the remake was done in the eighties and some have multiple that have just been remade. I feel like, yeah, saying Hollywood is running out of ideas, but has Hollywood ever like yeah, the amount of original <laughs> ideas coming out of Hollywood is like, there's the some, bar for, I, I, just, yeah. I just don't think, I don't think it's as easy as saying that they only, they only do remakes now, get an original idea. Um, maybe, maybe there's some more worrying stuff about like, uh, all of these tentpole movies being made by Disney and there's just like four blockbusters a year that come out now or something. That stuff all <laughs> consolidated, a little troubling, but right. the, yeah, the kind of thing you were talking, like I've been for at least like 20 years have been hearing <laughs> the same sort of that remake, make an original IP Hollywood, um, which I agree <laughs> with, but also it's not a new is the main takeaway for me. Now, at their best, movies are a perfect blending of the arts, Alex. They tell stories from the most relatable human conditions and experiences to the limits of the imagination. Reboot Deboot was started three years ago, and unbeknownst to you and I, man, we became voyagers of cinema, spectators, mm -hmm. as we found ourselves in what now can be called a case study of cinema. Reboots and remakes have become so common that we expect them on every movie sooner or later. And after three years, Reboot Deboot is still going strong. So today, at the first annual Rebooties Award Ceremony, we're going to break down 16 categories with their movies and then their remakes and reboots. In keeping with the theme of the podcast, as every episode has at least two movies, so every category will have at least two winners. Yeah. I'm trying to... Yeah, two, two things per episode. I think there might have been one. There was one thing. I don't remember which one. Our first category tonight are the least compelling titles that we've watched. <laughs> that These are movies... Starting out with this. <laughs> yeah, these are movies that, given their source material, could have been intriguing and something unique. However, due to numerous reasons, ended up becoming dull and lackluster. Yeah. Um, uh, our first pick. I'm going to play the clip real quick. Maybe, maybe folks can guess what it is. Rob Zombie, the director of House of a Thousand Corpses, Halloween, and the Devil's Rejects, brings you the greatest love story ever told. Oh, I I don't like the sound of that. It's from their own trailer, presaging that this is not going to be a good movie. <laughs> One of the winners for least compelling is Rob Zombie's The Monsters. The Monsters, yeah. This looked, I mean, like visually looked kind of cool at points, but was one of the most boring movies I've watched for this by a pretty yep. wide margin. It lacked any kind of 
in like real enjoyment. It's any of the comedy and chemistry seemed forced and it didn't have the charm that the original Munsters had. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a I don't know, sad trombone noise. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Um the second first place winner for least compelling movie. Regrettably, the next target date has been moved up at the client's request. And the client wishes it to be public. I've planned something more subtle. I've made preparations. Incumbent Russian President Mikhail Bilikov's recent political shift is in direct conflict with our client's interests and threatens their control of the Russian government. The client needs it to be public. Do you accept the new parameters? It's, uh, yep, it's the Timothy Oliphant Hitman. And... Yep, Hitman. <laughs> a movie that a movie that has a very compelling story, like gameplay aspect to the stories and the mission and the the origin of Forty Seven. But the movies themselves, and even Timothy Oliphant couldn't save it. Uh, they just fall flat. It comes off as a least impressive version of the like the Bourne movies or the John yeah. Wick movies or the Mission Impossible movies. They do that thing that video game movies do sometimes where they latch on to like video game mechanics but like bad ones. So like there's a lot of we watched <laughs> Timothy Oliphant change costumes a lot, which is like fun to do in those games, but it's weirder when you're watching it happen in a movie and it's like Timothy Oliphant is just walking around in like an ill-fitting bellboy costume for half the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It, it's watching the Hitman movie really just makes you go, "Huh, okay." There's nothing to gleam onto. It's also it's also very clear that he's wearing a bald cap the whole time because his head is like right. odd shape the whole movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So there are your winners for least for uh least compelling. Yep. <clears throat> Our next category is the most problematic category. Now these are movies that haven't aged well or were problematic from the start. And when we say problematic, we mean in the sense of humor or maybe the handling of sensitive topics that were ignored or misguided. They can be downright offensive, misogynistic, uh, they can be racist, um, but in the light of the movie, it poses them as something that should be funny or something that shouldn't be taken as seriously as the issues actually uh, are. I feel like there's a lot of heat in this category, a lot of strong contenders. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of strong contenders, and it, it took us a while to actually come up with the most problematic, but I think... I think we found the two most problematic. Uh, Alex, play the first clip for us of most problematic movie women. We don't care if you blab about the beginning of this picture, nor do we care if you give away the ending, but we do care if you reveal the middle. In fact, Jerry Lewis urges you to see this picture from the beginning on penalty of losing your popcorn privileges. One thing we will tell you is that Jerry plays the part of an eccentric chemistry professor who invents the greatest new drink since Dracula discovered the Bloody Mary.
one sip and he turns into... Ah, that would be telling. That, uh... That was the trailer for the original Nutty Professor, but I feel like both. I think this is one where we said, <laughs> "Yeah." The, so well. the Nutty Professor uh, is the most problematic of, of the franchise for the original and the remake. And the original is hyper misogynistic, and the remake is uh, pretty fat phobic and misogynistic. They just added the and misogynistic stuff too. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, the original one. Jerry, I don't know. I don't. I still don't. It's still baffling to me that that was supposed to be like a cool, likable dude. Was it? Like, did teenagers watch <laughs> like watching <laughs> dudes, like thirty-year-old dudes, abuse waiters? Is that earning people friends back then? It's very strange. It is very strange, and it was weird to see it played for laughs. I get that yeah. you know time and sensibility changes, but. In the face of like what was like what is acceptable, and then realizing, oh, this was never acceptable, and our society was at a time where we were just taking bad takes naturally. Looking back at the Nutty Professor and the Eddie Murphy remake, both of them are just really rough to watch. Yeah, yep. And I think Jerry Lewis had some <laughs> some unfun things he... to say on the side too, right? Sure. Yes. He did. I don't remember exactly what they were. I think they related to dames and comedy, though. Yeah. <laughs> you can go back and listen to the Nutty Professor uh, episode if you want to hear those comments, because I found some quotes from uh, Jerry Lewis about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the next winner in the franchise, because we've so many movies, so many problematic things, but this next movie uh, couldn't have been more insensitive if they tried. Uh, Alex, please roll. Sway in the morning, Shay 4-5. We got to talk about what's happening in Chicago. Everybody's watching this viral video. This guy in the hoodie, they're calling the Grim Reaper. He stopped the carjacking. Is he right for taking the law into his own hands? He's become a folk hero. What about the shooter? He looked like a white dude. The Bruce Willis Death Wish remake. Ooh. Yep. Death Wish. In nice 20... Rich white doctor go and terrorize a bunch of people. <laughs> In 2018, when there started to be an outbreak of mass shootings, Eli Roth decides to remake a movie from his youth about a spree shooter going on vigilante revenge. But... It doesn't really tackle the issue of, like, good guy with a gun, bad guy with a gun, like, gun violence. It doesn't handle that at all with any kind of finesse. And uh, it just leaves a real sour taste in your mouth, especially when we start seeing an increase of the shootings around America with the school shootings, the, you know, like, uh, Aurora. And I don't even the, know. The uh, like... Vegas shooter. and They don't even really, like, wrestle with it. It just seems like, okay, this dude... I mean, people are conflicted, but he's getting results, you know? <laughs> right. There's no discussion of the right or wrong side of this. The only pushback comes from Sway. From Sway? And even then... <laughs> and his inexplicable head yeah, wrap. With his inexplicable head wrap. And even then, the pushback isn't that much. It's like, I don't know if he should or not. And then that cuts it. There is no discussion. And including that 
what was the mad cow what was the guy's name mad mad cow mueller yeah mad cow mueller the like conservative radio host as the like <laughs> the pro bruce willis voice was also a strange choice that guy right. had some real weird stuff to say about he's like a chicago area dj but he's like <laughs> like i not not a fun voice it sounds like no. <clears throat> you know alex we watch a lot of these movies and a lot of the time i think people get wrapped up in who's on screen or what's happening on screen that they forget that sound effects the art of the foley work or the subtle sounds that can change and enhance the scene are really what can bring a movie to life you know the footsteps of a killer right outside of the door or the uh impo- the imposing sound of some sort of catastrophic event as it looms closer to the viewer uh sound effects play an important role in our audio viewing uh presentation tonight yeah. and for best sound effects we have picked two movies that i think uh went above and beyond the call for what this category required. Yeah, the importance of sound was really was really driven home for me when I started watching the original Chicago, but it was like the first one I found didn't have any sort of backing music at all, <laughs> and it was maddening. It was so weird. <laughs> right, because you're, you're watching a purely silent, silent yeah. black and white film. Even that <laughs> shitty Joel Kinnaman movie, Silent Night, they still have sound effects in it, you know? Sure. So, our third category is Best Sound Effects, and the first winner for Best Sound Effects is... Fear is a tool. But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning. It's the Batman. The Batman. Robert Pattinson as the Batman. Uh, The sound in this movie was really intriguing to me because it took the environment of Gotham and they were somehow able to perfectly mimic the the quote-unquote sounds of the city. Every time that there was a moment of uh, hope or fear or mystery these beautiful sound cues could be heard just bleeding through this the set and scene and acting and i think it really create helped the atmosphere of gotham yeah there's a very uh the city was definitely super atmospheric in this one not the the good rain happening all the time and that cool <laughs> slash weird 90s like grunge emo soundtrack happening that's fun. Sure. Our next winner is something of a old classic, and I would say a modern day classic. Uh, Alex, why don't you play the clip and let our audience figure it out? Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance.
while others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. Run away, Simba. And never return. <laughs> the lion king remake the live action cgi one I don't know. a lot of a lot of animal moat noises made whole cloth there i think i don't think there a lot of animal noises yeah in front of warthogs um a, a lot of nature just uh cr creating the savannah you know creating the wide open and um I don't want to say charming because that isn't the correct word, but uh, nostalgic <laughs> almost, whimsical, uh, a feeling of the the, uh, the wilds, you know. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't want to babbling say brooks. Because I, didn't, I didn't love the movie, but it was still the uh, the. It's impressive what they <laughs> what they put together for it. Yeah, the babbling brooks, the roaring rivers, uh, the stampede. Um, the sound in Lion King, uh, the remake, is uh, really um, naturalistic in, in the best way possible. Yeah. Yep. But with sound, you know, there's more. The great thing about the Lion King was the cast. And Alex, as you know, casting is crucial. The right actress or actor can elevate a character. And many have loved us with unforgettable characters who stand the test of time. Now, imagine an entire cast doing that. So the category for best cast is based around an ensemble that elevated the film itself. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been working slowly in the background here to try and recast this show. And I know that it can be hard. It's tough to get a good fit right away. <laughs> Play the clip, Alex. Saul makes ten. Ten ought to do it, don't you think? You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. Ocean's Eleven, the remake. This is like one of the like quintessential ensemble cast movies. Yeah, uh, the on paper, the like George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, Andy Garcia, Bernie Mac. I mean, it's crazy. Casey Affleck shows up, Scott Kahn, Carl Rayner, Elliot Gould. Uh, I mean, it, it's crazy. That like to get any of those actors alone now would break a bank. But imagine having them all be affordable, available, and in one movie, almost at the height of their acting abilities as well. I had everyone in there does a really good job. Not like, uh, I don't know, like we <laughs> like the Taking a Pelham remake, where it's like, ooh, it should be really good, but only <laughs> two people are doing any work. Uh, sure. But everyone shouldered that load. And only there was only one kind of weird accent present not sure. Still not sure what Don Cheadle was doing. <coughs> but uh, he was doing a Manchester accent. I know what he was trying to do. 
but it was Barney. <laughs> Um, so Ocean's Eleven is the first winner for Best Cast, and our second first place winner for Best Cast is... So who did the two guys from Providence? Jimmy Pappas. What happened to Jimmy Pappas? Jimmy had a rough month. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy had a heart attack in jail, and uh, then he got himself knifed at uh, Boston City Hospital. I believe it's been in the papers. You seem quite happy with that result. Fucking result. Yeah, but Quee Bono, who benefits? Quee gives a shit. It's got a friggin' bow on it. I think you are a cop, my son. It's The Departed. Uh, the Departed, a powerhouse of a cast. Huge movie. Vera Farmiga. Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Martin Sheen, Mark, uh, Mark Wahlberg, Kristen Dalton, Alec Baldwin, Ray Winstone, James Badgedale, Francesca Scorsese, Kevin Corrigan. I mean, again, another cast that you would have to break the bank. What well, is a to... Martin Scorsese movie? So he's allowed to break the bank. Like, this is. <laughs> <laughs> This is not exactly like the Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't command a lot of money era of filmmaking. Even like this is firmly in <laughs> him being one of the the most well-paid people. And they just throw a bunch of others on top of there too. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. These two, both of those movies, Ocean's Eleven and The Departed, have a cast that are at the height of their powers, at the height of their abilities, and they are so believable in their roles, uh, it takes the movie far and beyond what you would expect, and it elevates it to something wholly special and new. So many good, yeah. Every time people are sharing a scene on there, it's great. But, you know, Alex, there's more than just having a great cast. You can have the best sound in the world. You can have the best cast in the world. But having the right look plays an important part of the cinema experience. Having believable-looking characters who dress the part helps the audience fade into whatever experience that they're watching. And because of that, costumes, the costume department of a film, the look of a film matters. And so, for our best costumes category... We have these two triumphant movies. Alex, please play the first clip. Only a fool would try and arrest us twice in one day. You're under arrest. A fool. The boys have no interest in me. He's free to go. You come in peacefully and you intend to resist. Oh, don't be so stupid. Of course we intend to resist. Just give us a moment, all right? The Three Musketeers from the 90s. The Disney's Three Musketeers, yes. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, the costuming, the set dressing, it looks fantastic. It really does, yeah. Especially for, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say especially for, but like it was kind of a, it was like a fun '90s comedy action movie. But lots of, lots of good costumes. I also feel like any of the, <coughs> like either of the the Akira Kurosawa movies we watched would have been good here too. They also did a really good job, mm -hmm. but they're not, they're not in here. I mean, if, and again, when Alex and I sat down and we, we talked to the committee, we talked to the panels, we were on the phone sending emails, 
you know, a lot of work went into the, to this list. Um, <laughs> so these were not easy decisions to make. Um, yeah. So the, uh, the next winner for best costumes, Alex, roll it. This is our lucky day. Oh no. Dwarves. The hedge pig I loathe most in the world. Lands right in our lap. Come on, Beef. Is this how you treat a friend? Oh, no, 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 you putter. This is how I treat a friend. Oh, she's pretty. Mm. And who's this, eh? That's an errant apprentice or captive? This man is helping me. She kill him both, yeah. He's caused us nothing but trouble. Skewer him and leave her to rot. I don't like killing girls. I do. Good. Snow White and the Huntsman. Looks amazing. And the costuming for... Charlize Theron, Chris Hemsworth, Kristen Stewart, all of the dwarves. Uh, it was perfect. They looked so much like a believable character from that world, from that universe. Um, it, it was really well done. Yeah. I think it was one of the only like straight-up fantasy movies we've watched for this. Uh, but maybe we'll... Not many straight-up fantasies get remade. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure which ones I would want them to either. Yeah, you know, we could work the Hobbit in there if we watch that cartoon, but well, sure, you know. we could do the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, well, uh, Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> watch Peter Pan and that Johnny Depp movie about the author of Peter Pan. Uh, but you know, Alex, you can have a great cast. You can have great sound effects. Um, you can, or you can have a great, like, you know, sound and you can have the great casting, but they say that seeing is believing. And with the category for best VFX, I believe that these movies stand atop an already impressive pile of remakes that'll make you say, how cool was that? <laughs> okay. They were pretty cool. Our two winners for best VFX. Alex, please play the first clip. Arrest that woman! <laughs> Quaid. Cut. Get ready for a surprise! We can't let him run around. He knows too much. They've got your bug. I get a lock. There! And the bug's in your skull. Take this thing out of the case. And stick it up your nose. Total Recall, the Schwarzenegger one, not the. Uh... <clears throat> the uh, Paul uh, Verhoeven Total Recall, which, I mean, the there's an entire documentary about how this, like the the effects, the VFX, and what it was at the time, um, and it still looks great today. It hasn't aged at all. Yeah, I watched bits of that. It was pretty cool, especially the the way they uh, faked some of the shots is really impressive. They built it is all the stuff that looks like it would be CGI now, where like they're panning out and you see what like the monorail riding on Mars. That's all like miniatures they made, and uh, they were putting little TV screens inside of trains and playing scenes on them. So all kinds of cool stuff going on. So, Total Recall is one, and uh, would you please play the other winner? You're a man looking at the world through a keyhole, and you spent your whole life trying to widen that keyhole, to see more, to know more, and now, on hearing that it can be widened, 
in ways you can't imagine, you reject the possibility. I reject it because I do not believe in fairy tales about chakras or energy power. There's no such thing as spirit. We are made of matter, nothing more than a tiny momentary speck within an indifferent universe. You think too little of yourself. Oh, you think you see through me, do you? Well, you don't. But I see through you! It doesn't come across... Uh, it's Doctor Strange, and it doesn't come across in the audio medium super well, but that thwomp noise is when a bunch of cool special effects stuff starts happening. Now, we thought Inception was the height of, like, city building and city folding, but Doctor Strange takes that to an insane level. Yeah, it kind of, it does that, but it's fractals now. <laughs> Lots of repeating yeah, in on the, itself patterns. The visual effects in Doctor Strange were, honestly, I, I was so excited. I had almost like a, child, a childhood like experience of wonderment when I saw Doctor Strange in theaters. It was so cool to, to just watch and see how they were showing the mere dimension and the fractals and the prisms and then the, the city folding in on itself. And I mean, it was, it was great. It was yeah. such a cool visual movie. It was tight between this one and that first Doctor Strange, but this one edged it out with some of those. What was that? <laughs> it's <laughs> true. Patterns. It's true. Um, but you know, Alex, as great as CGI and you know visual effects like that are, sometimes you got to get your hands dirty and you got to do it yourself. Sometimes clay and foam, plastic and metal and prosthetics can prove that truth is indeed and sometimes more impressive than fiction. Our winners for best practical effects are what do you got in mind mccready little cast and windows you and palmer tie everybody down real tight what for for your health Come on, let's rush him he's not gonna blow us all up no no wait a minute wait a minute let's let's do what max says i mean uh he wasted norris pretty quick didn't he that's close enough clark he ain't tying me up. Then I'll have to kill you, child. John Carpenter's The Thing. Says, uh... <laughs> oh, man. When the Be first... Practical? When that, when that <laughs> dude's ribcage opens up and eats that man. <laughs> the practical effects on The Thing are insane. They are so good and they hold up today by such a wide standard of looking impressive of feeling and it has this such a good visceral quality of the distortion of human flesh and form um i mean it's it's so good it looks so awesome and authentic too yeah yeah i mean sometimes you can tell a dog is a puppet but it still looks fantastic you know. But when you look, when you see a dog as a puppet, you have to look at what's happening to the dog puppet. Yeah, <laughs> it's I mean, being it's assaulted a, it's a dog by like a huge a bunch of tentacles coming out of the back of it. <laughs> right, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want that to happen to a real dog. Jeez. Correct, monster. <laughs> monster. Now it's interesting you say monster mm -hmm. because much as the thing is like a monster movie, 
are and body distortion. Uh, Alex, why don't you play the second clip for our winner? I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm saying. I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake. No, sir. I'm saying I'll hurt you this day. David Cronenberg's The Fly. The Fly, Brundle Fly. Yeah. Uh what a hell of a movie. And in terms of just great remake, but Cronenberg's probably my favorite Cronenberg and probably, I I believe, his finest achievement in film. Yeah, what's the the one where he's got that gun made out of body? Videodrome? Existence, or is that Videodrome? Oh, I I can't remember which one, but The Fly (laughs) is so iconic. It's so cool. I mean, to see Jeff Goldblum go from Seth Brundle, man of science, to his deterioration. I mean, his body parts are popping off left and right. His teeth, his fingernails, his ear, like the boils and the skin and the hair. And then finally to the, the shocking reveal of the final transformation at the end of the film. And to think that, you know, that's all prosthetic and they're doing dailies. And I mean, that's amazing. It's incredible. And it looks... As cool as it is gross and disturbing. Yeah, it's a really weird mix, especially like watching that scene again to clip that audio. <laughs> it's like, oh god, this disgusting <laughs> monster is really making me feel things. Because he's like hard to look at in that scene, but you're still like, oh, Grendel man, you're going through one. <laughs> right. Um, our next category is its own literal definition. As the art of making motion pictures is the literal definition of cinematography. The language of film and using the camera to tell and track a story is an easy art to pick up, but it's hard to master. Our winners tonight are two films that show creative and compelling filmmaking without compromise. We're in this together. You want it in. You're going to get 10%. So you earn your keep. Two million, six hundred thousand dollars in cash. Whose head are you after? Yours. Mine. Yours. It's the 1968 movie, The Thomas Crown Affair. Um, just... So stylistic. Yeah, so so cool. Watching it, that was I got that audio from a trailer for it, and he was just watching the trailer. I was like, oh man, the guy, I want to go watch this again right now. But I had to get more of these clips. Um. So stylistically cool. So many cool camera angles and like tracking shots and establishing shots and the entire scene of Faye Dunaway and Steve McQueen playing chess and the way it's lit mm-hmm. and filmed and ah, oh, it, it's so good. 
I would just cut to some cool shots of them whipping around in that dune buggy or like a <laughs> Steve McQueen playing polo or Steve McQueen flying a glider. A lot of it comes down to like the editing too. Uh, we didn't have like a separate thing for that, but it's also cut right. together crazily well. So yeah. Much, so much going on. So Thomas Crown Affair and our second place winner. Our that second place, first place Costello's winner. moving the process to China. He set up a whole fucking job in Pop Kennefick. You do not want to miss it if Costello takes a dump. We'd miss a lot less if you made your informants available to us and, of course, to the Bureau. Without asking for too many details, do you have anyone in with Costello presently? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. My theory on feds is they're like mushrooms. Feed them shit and keep them in the dark. It's the departed again. Yeah. Scorsese's, you know, titan of a film. Yeah. Uh, I mean... There are, I, I had to go back after we watched that, and I watched The Making of the Departed, and I, um, I mean, it, it's incredible the way that Scorsese is able to tell that story, and the using lighting and, you know, the X's and the smaller subtle hints of certain things on camera and foreshadowing, uh, tracking the story and certain camera angles for certain scenes, and I mean, it's beautiful to piece together yeah like i uh he knows what he's doing <laughs> Don't know he does know what he's doing up, but i'm staking out that claim right now and it's a hot take yep. of yours alex you're known for your hot takes yep yeah that's what they say <laughs> <laughs> now our ninth category is similar to uh sound effects, but this is more about sound in general. And sound is the universal language. And in that language, the most common way to speak are songs. More times than not, a song can unite us. It can create and remind us of fond memories. It can forge friendships. And in some cases, even shape part of our lives. Our next two winners are best soundtrack. Never seen a king or beast with quite so little hair. I'm gonna be the main effect like no king was before. I'm brushing up, I'm looking down, I'm working on my floor. Thus far, a rather uninspiring thing. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. It's the original. Are we sued by Disney yet? <laughs> Uh, no, I was pretty careful, and I think that's 29 seconds, which I think is the cutoff. Who? Who? <laughs> I paid, atten I paid attention there. to the time to the, on a few of these. <laughs> and that is, of course, Alex? As the, uh, the, uh, the original animated Lion King. Um, with, I don't think just i don't think jonathan taylor thomas is the one singing there but uh that soundtrack you know elton john really knocking it out of the park from that era where disney would partner with like a different massive artist for an animated movie <laughs> like this is like right before the phil collins jungle book team up too uh, <laughs> or tarzan tarzan i think whatever but yeah this soundtrack when we went back and rewatched this i was like I mean, I know it's a you know it's a kids movie or whatever, but man, 
I do really like the songs on it. It's Elton John and Hans Zimmer. Yeah, really. <laughs> like <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of talent in that room. And as much as I like <laughs> All for Love from the Three Musketeers, it's you know it's only one song. Uh, right. This is I feel like none of the songs on the land can quite reach that height, but they're it's more sort of uh, consistently All delivering. Right. Yeah. Um. And our second winner, please. Is gone in sixty seconds. The newer one it was a the one yeah. You it's, for, right? I mean, yeah, it, it's such a cool soundtrack to listen to. Like the movie itself is already drenched and cool, but then it, just the songs when they hit the right times. I mean, it really. You think back and you're like, "Fuck, that was a cool song, and that was a cool scene. That was a cool song too. Oh, that was a really good song too." Like, the Gone in 60 Second soundtrack is just chock full of, like, awesome songs. Yeah, when that movie came out, I uh, saw it in theaters with my dad my younger siblings. And my dad would listen to that fucking Fat Boy Slim song, like, multiple times a day for months. It's uh, Moby. Is it? Yeah, it's Moby. Okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. You can find that song. That song is uh, Moby. It's Flower. And you can find it on Play, the B-Sides. Sure. All right. Well, whoever it is, he didn't know. I don't know even now. I think he probably just found it on LimeWire as like God is 60 Seconds song or something. Sure. It's the opening that's going through the pictures and stuff. Yeah. That sweet turns into the sweet clock ticking down. Yeah. Very cool. So, very cool sound, costumes, uh, and all of these, you know, they, they bring together a movie. And with that movie, will eventually, at some point in time, become a remake, Alex. And remakes, <laughs> ideally, should elevate the original source. They should build and enhance what already was and expand on the core idea as time goes on. A remake done right can revive an older film. It can present an old concept in a new light. Sadly, the movies in our next core category... Failed at that miserably. And the winners for the D-Booty for the worst remakes are... Gentlemen, strip out of your civilian clothes and place all of your belongings in the box with your name on it. All of your belongings. Shake your hair. Wiggle your fingers. Spread your toes. Blow your nose. Welcome to Enola Vale Youth Correctional Facility. Butch, bet on the far left. Dave, straight ahead. Angel, right here. Judge may have given you a sentence, but in reality, your sentence all depends on your behavior. Is Dog Pound, the remake of Scum, the remake with nothing to say? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> At all. <laughs> Even watching, so like that's a clip from the trailer for it. Watching the trailer is like, they're marketing this like it's a teen comedy or something. <laughs> right. It's really bizarre. <laughs> it's true. <really laughs> if, if if we look at scum and it's the super dark 
harrowing snapshot of, you know, 70s England with a boys' correction, the borstal system, the boys' correctional facility. And we're talking about abuse from each other, abuse from the guards. Yeah, it's definitely it, it's it was like Requiem really... for a Dream in terms of like, like or American History watch. X. Yeah, that's a good one like, too. Yeah. Like tough to watch, but like compelling stuff and important <laughs> narrative being told. <laughs> and Dog Pound, the 2010 remake of that, strips away all of that shit and just leaves it with like almost a, a correctional facility fetish. Like, yeah. it, it just takes away any of the conversation. And a bit of, like, uh, glorifying drug use, just on the side. Yeah. Well, not that <laughs> I think like, there's anything wrong with that, but it's just a weird way to go. So, like, look at these it, kids have fun be, doing ecstasy, yes. and now he's in a fucking youth, youth group home. <laughs> in Colorado. Because that also says, <laughs> it's like, what what are we doing here? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. You know? Especially considering what scum was. Yeah, this one was. Uh, I don't know. This is this. It was one of the more <laughs> baffling ones. Where it's just like, what? <laughs> Someone should have had the wherewithal to, like before it came out to be like, guys, we didn't, we didn't do it. We we gotta pull an audible on this one or something. I don't know. We need to go back and watch scum and figure out what we did wrong. Yeah, uh, and. Know. And our second winner is... What the fuck? Let me the fuck out of here! Fuck! Get me the fuck out of here, man! What the fuck are you doing? You gotta tell me what I wanna hear. You don't want this. But guess what? You get some. I'm just gonna help you. <laughs> It's the Death Wish remake again. <laughs> that is uh, Bruce Willis blatantly violating the Hippocratic Oath and torturing a man with a car. And yeah, it's... Uh, the original Death Wish wasn't that great. So you'd think that a remake in 2018, especially after the school shootings and the spree shootings, you think that there could be a real moment to have a conversation about the gun argument, the gun debate, like America's fascination with firearms and, you know, the good guy with a gun discussion. And, you know, when seconds count, the police are minutes away and like gun violence, there could be a real space for that version of death wish. Eli Roth didn't want that discussion and he stripped all of that away and made it basically, uh, I don't know, Masturbation towards gun fetish? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, like masturbatory of guns? It's just like vigilante porn. It's very weird. Uh, he could have even done like a grindhouse kind of movie. He is like decent at those, but sure. I don't. I'm maybe not so much as of late. Yeah. I saw Hobo with a shotgun. I loved it. Was that Eli Roth too? No, but oh, it's yeah. a but like modern grindhouse. could have gone so. that kind of direction with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, they did not. It's just about a white dude from the burbs <laughs> <laughs> going into the city and murdering people. <clears throat> yeah, not great. Now, uh, you know, remakes come from someplace. And every remake starts out as a movie. And every movie starts out as a story and an idea. 
And they are, you know, they say that there are no bad ideas, just bad executions. And these two movies for worst original movie prove that theory correct. Wait. Oh. <laughs> okay. On August 10th, 1960, a movie premiere was held in the city of Las Vegas. The story centered on a group of former GIs who hatch a plan to rob the five major casinos of the Vegas Strip on New Year's Eve. It starred an aging group of friends whose main reason for doing the film was so they could hang out with one another in the city that had become their favorite playground. It's the original Ocean's Eleven, and that's from a documentary about the making of the movie, and they're not joking about the main motivation being them wanting to hang out in Vegas. <laughs> it's so bad! It's bizarrely that, that long, just... and nothing happens for the first hour and a half. <laughs> that description right there was cooler than the movie itself. <laughs> the, I Yeah, I might go and watch this making of thing. There were comments on that being like, Ocean's Eleven is my favorite movie ever. I watch it three times a year. What like, is wrong with how? that? How? In what world? Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Apparently, what though. What are you doing? Like... <laughs> right after that song, they did say that everyone, like the whole gang, they also were playing shows two or three nights a week at the Copa in Vegas while they were <laughs> filming. Like, they already had a residency, and then they wanted to make this movie. <laughs> What? I, I, uh, they just so loved bad. Vegas it's... so much. I think that was, that was like the period of time when doing a Vegas residency didn't mean you would hit the end of your career. <laughs> right. <sighs> yeah. Um, it was, it, it's rough. The original Ocean's Eleven is a long, mysteriously long movie where not a lot happens. Yeah. It's a bizarre mixture of overly long and nothing happening and then also just like uncomfortable wildly uncomfortable at points this was another uh most problematic contender um, it was actually, dean martin has some unsavory opinions about women and amendments even in the documentary in slavery i watched um less than a minute of this thing and there managed to be a line of dean martin's in there we're like ooh, what why <laughs> why did we do that <laughs> So Ocean's Eleven takes it for worst original movie, but Ocean's Eleven doesn't stand alone. Alex, would you please play the other winner? Yeah, uh, heads up, there's some bleeps in this. <laughs> I want you to meet your new pitcher, Amanda Wurlich. Juice f- and now a girl? Grab a bat, punk. As a... The Bad News Bears original with a tiny child just whipping out slurs rapid fire. Yeah, um, what should be like a fun sports coming of age, coming together, like underdog movie is actually just a racist, sexist, and almost and child abusive movie about a drunk, tormenting children in a, in a little league circuit. Yeah, it's real rough. That scene where Walter Matthau empties that beer on that poor girl's head. And then throws the can at it. Oh my god, it was harrowing. And but it's not framed, <laughs> but it's not framed like scum or something. It's like this is just a small hill we have to overcome so that everyone can it's get back to loving funny. Walter Matthau again. Yeah, it's ooh, it's rough. <laughs> it's, it's really rough. <laughs> um Yeah, so Moving on from the uncomfortable worst movies. Yeah. Uh, you know, Alex, 
You know, Alex, women have been influencing cinema with their work behind and in front of the camera for decades. They range from soft-spoken caregivers of the Old West to kick-ass, bug-blasting marines of the future, and every role in between. However, before we name the two winners of Best Actress Award, uh, Reboot Deboot would like to give an honorable mention to Alicia Vandeker and her performance as Laura Croft in 2018's Tomb Raider. Yeah, yeah. A lot of good ones in uh, this one, too. A, l- a lot of powerhouse performances, uh, and it was no easy task. Uh, Alex, please play the first clip of the first winner. Marshal Rooster Cogburn and I are going after the murder of Tom Cheney. Cogburn, how did you light on that greasy vagabond? They say he has grit. I wanted a man with grit. It's Kim Darby in True Grit, really just carrying that whole fucking movie. (laughs) Carried it, like, thoroughly carried it. Kim Darby was fantastic in True Grit. She was so good. And it helped that she's, you know, intelligent, like, intelligible you could make out the word she was saying which you don't know until you can't that's technically like kind of important <laughs> it's true but w- without kim darby and without that character uh that movie would have been very passe i just wouldn't uh, it, it would have been like a subpar western rather like yeah kim darby such a fucking talent oh my god she's so good in it. Mm-hmm. yeah um and um a modern day performance uh alex would you please play the second one you won't get the baby and you won't get me there you are The Invisible Man, or it's Elizabeth Moss via The Invisible Man from 2020. Elizabeth Moss fucking knocked it out of the park. Yeah. She Uh, was so good. Yeah, she really, especially for this movie is basically just like two actors most of the time. Well, yeah, well, because one of them is invisible, just kind of their menacing things from from the outside, but it's basically just Elizabeth Moss, that dude and his daughter, and uh, mostly Elizabeth Moss, and she's amazing. That little audio is from near the end of the movie when she's all locked up and stuff. Uh, really? She, yeah, I mean, she. Her, please, go watch the Invisible Man remake. It is so good. It portrays, it, it not only does it pay respect to the original, but putting the new twist on it, on having it be this uh, victimized woman, this this victim of uh, an emotional and physical abusive relationship, and then her breaking away. Elizabeth Moss plays the victim so well, but then she also ends up playing like the fighter, the hunter. Uh, you know, she gets steely-eyed resolve. She gets, she takes agency, and every scene that she is in is just fucking phenomenal. It is such a good movie. Yeah, they do a good job of like. Definitely, she definitely is like the victim of spousal abuse here. But she's like the movie starts with her getting out of the situation, and then it's like the fallout from that. Is a 
cool way to go. And then menacing. This was, I think, probably the most surprised I've been. I think this. I went into like I went into this one knowing nothing about it other than having seen the original, and was super surprised in a good way. Yes, I was super surprised, and I was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and that'll become, well, I don't want to bury those. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there are women in movies, but there's also men. And there sometimes are. the right man, and sometimes, Alex, the right man for the right job comes along. And when that happens, they can cement their place in cinema history alongside a performance that never can be forgotten. Our winners for best actor are. He had a very heavy Cockney accent, and he used to sing me the Cockney songs that he sang when he was a little boy, and I couldn't understand a word he said. That's how strong the accent was. But Reigns overcame his speech problems and triumphantly reinvented himself on the London stage. It's Claude Reigns from <laughs> the original Invisible Man. <laughs> Such so, an awesome performance. And inspiring that. that he was able to overcome yeah. that Cockney it's, accent <laughs> and have people eventually understand just, the words he said. It's just an accent. <laughs> <laughs> Oi. Speech impediment. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I guess he was trying to act in the 20s, so it's the kind of thing where a working class accent maybe just does belie too much of your background sure I don't know. <laughs> but i it's mean still very funny. you know claude rains now is considered one of the great cinema actors and re with reason i mean claude rains is great and his performance in the invisible man because he's the invisible man you obviously can't see him and his performance he is so larger than life he is so over the top he is yeah. such a force in that film it's great. It's a hell of a performance. It's surprising how much physical comedy he can do without a visible body. He's very. It's true. Very physical. In that. It's true. Uh, and our next winner for best actor. Welcome to my home. And there's really of your own villain leave some of the happiness you bring. Count Dracula. I am. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Harcourt, to my house. It's Gary Oldman from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Best actor paired with one of the worst performances there from <laughs> the confused Keanu Reeves. Uh, I mean, look, Gary Oldman is already a fantastic actor. Like, Gary Oldman has, he, everyone knows it. But there was something about his performance in Dracula. He gets the, he, he's terrifying, he's sorrowful, he's angry. Uh, I mean, he, he's charming. He is such a force in that film. And he's got that cool wig, the weird bump up there <laughs> that I really like. I mean, it's such a cool performance for Gary Oldman to, you know, go through this, this monstrosity. And he is a man who wants love and has chased love. And he, he fought and died. And he killed people, you know, killed armies for his religion. And, you know, he stood for the church. And when his beloved dies and then the church inform him that she will not go to heaven, he renounces God and seeks in the blood to, you know, I mean, like this is a man who has been like haunted by his own existence 
for hundreds of years. And Gary Oldman has that nuance to just carry that performance. It's fucking stellar. It is such a good performance. I heard that he method acted for that too. He went and did all that shit for real before he. He did. I, I, I have <laughs> seen. I've seen the pictures. He's still wanted by the ICJ. <laughs> yes. He's banned in Romania. Yeah. Uh, now, Alex, remakes ideally should elevate the original source. They should build and enhance what already was and expands on the core ideas as time goes on. A remake done right can revive an older film. It can present an old concept in a new light. And our next two movies do exactly that. The mm-hmm. winners for best remake are Control, Vision, Determination. These are the three fundamental components of the new generation race car driver. Speed is a byproduct, going fast. But remember, the car is you. You are the car. Okay? It's gone in 60 seconds. The well, it would have to be the remake for this one. Um, right. Um, I mean, look, th- this this was a hard one for Alex and I and the committee and the panels. Um, because there. there are yeah. there are so many good ones, you know. Uh, I mean, and no disrespect to any movie that didn't make it. But overall, in terms of a movie that still can connect to an audience, uh, in terms that you can have any age watch it and still be taken in by something on the film, like you can walk through and see Gone in 60 Seconds. And I think you're going to end up, unless you're you know super busy for an appointment, I think you're going to end up sitting down and watching. And uh, It just like, has that ability to grip you. And when you like consider what it starts with, which like the original Gone in 60 Seconds is like, cool but it's basically just a movie with a lot of cars that's kind of all you're watching so it takes like that sort of fun it's given what's it It was made by a dude who owned a wrecking yard or something like just had a lot of cars (laughs) and wanted to put them into a movie his family hb halecki own a (laughs) auto shop that's right we're watching like an hour and a half long extended (laughs) commercial for this guy's auto shop basically uh and they did some crazy stunts in that movie (laughs) yeah it almost killed a guy right like this dude drove it almost at like killed 70 him. miles an hour into a fucking telephone pole on accident. And they, sh- uh, well, <laughs> they shot it. They didn't close yeah. down any streets. They just gorilla shot it all. Uh, but <laughs> the God of 60 seconds turns that into like a functioning movie with a plot and characters that you like and care about. Uh, and it's yeah, like, and again, watchable. It, it, in that clip too, you heard the soundtrack. Yeah. It's, it's a uh, great soundtrack. <laughs> Yeah, it does a it's, it's a good car cool. chase movie. Keeps things moving along with the soundtrack too. It all works really well together. It's and it's like one of those Nicolas Cage roles where he's like stylish and not an insane person. He still has some weird mannerisms <laughs> going on, but he's like contained. He's uh, he's right in the right in the groove. Right, there. right. Uh, and the other movie for best remake. Adrian. He was a sociopath. He said that I could never leave him. He controlled how I looked and what I wore. Then I was controlling when I left the house. And eventually, what I thought. It's the Invisible Man from 2020. I'm gonna... We just talked about this, but... 
amazing performances. And this is another one where you know, like you look at the source material. I mean, really liked the original Invisible Man, but it's like just totally re envisions that in a very very awesome way. Yeah, uh, it, it was the Invisible Man has become such an iconic look and like monster villain in Hollywood. Uh, and, and the the remake of it, you know, this 2020 remake, taking it another direction and putting in that it, it's it is a great story of redemption, revenge, and this woman taking control of her life back. And it is a beautiful way to for it's the way we should all make modern ghost movies. Honestly, like it, it's great. That's a good a uh, good exploration of. Uh, why invisibility is one of the creepier superpowers. <laughs> right. Not, not just the spy implications. There's a lot of other shit that <laughs> that's bundled up with it. Right. And they do it so well. Like, they use the, the, the use of not seeing Adrian is done masterfully. Yeah, like, sometimes he's just an implied camera perspective. Right. Right. Like, where you're like, oh, this camera seems oddly at head heights. Or, like, did something just move? Did I see a chameleon shimmer or not? Uh-oh. I'm in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I, you know, it's just great. Yeah. Um, every movie, Alex, the, mm-hmm. whether it be a remake or an original story, a book, Every movie starts out as a story and an idea. And it's been said that there are no bad ideas, just bad executions. Then there are flawless executions that stand the test of time. And our next two movies are just that. The winners for best original movie are... The Bandit. I have distressing news for your excellency. I had a small drinking bout with the agent at the Bank of Madrid. While in his cups, the fellow was somewhat indiscreet. A drunken man is untrustworthy, Excellency. I will act for him. Hand it over. And now, Signora, that little trinket. You'd rob a woman. I can't afford gallantries. I refuse. You dare not take it. Quickly, Signora, I should hate to mark such a lovely cheek. This time, Excellency, I take only your money. Next time. <laughs> Adios. It's the Mark of Zorro. The Mark of Zorro from 1940, starring Tyrone Power. Yeah. This is, this is one of the bigger surprises for me. Not that I was like expecting it to be bad, but just was not prepared for how much I was going to like it. Yeah, I mean, it was very cool. Uh, everything was perfect on it. It had... You know the like the best sound, the best acting, realistic sword fighting, the best uh, probable the cinematography, horse death, horse death. <laughs> the best probable horse death. Yeah, um, I mean it's such a and it, it's such a cool movie. It really is. Yeah, this was another like I tried to find like reasonably small contained bits to clip for this, and this was another one. I like I was looking through this one. I was like, oh wait, I'm just watching the movie again. I need to <laughs> I need to buckle down here. <laughs> get drawn into it i mean it's a it, it's easy to get drawn into the map the mark of zorro it's really good yeah yeah it's no, a really it was, solid it was, film it was fantastic um and our other winner for best original film is 
Ty, is the uh, check certified? I think it's all in order. Tommy, you just signed there on the top line. I'll take your acknowledgement. Yes, that seems to be in order. Mercantile account. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we bought ourselves a property. A Tommy Crown property. So he's been very good to me. You know the first thing I'm going to do? Goose up all the rents. <laughs> well, aren't you going to wish us luck, Mr. Crown? You overpaid. Uh, Mr. Crown wishes you good luck. It's the Thomas Crown Affair, 1968. Uh, very cool movie, very stylistic. Uh, yeah. I mean, Faye Dunaway and Steve McQueen are just on point in it. This is another one I was totally unprepared for, for how much I was going to like it. Uh, and it starts, like, really early on, the way they, like, do the editing for that first heist. It, the way it starts coming together with, like, you're watching different squares sort of appear on the screen and, like, as things mm -hmm. are going down. Like, it starts super strong and then it just stays. I would say this movie is, if not, like, perfect, pretty, pretty darn close for me anyway. I don't think it I would change a single thing about it. Yeah, I couldn't think of anything to change that would improve it. Like it's pretty solid. Yeah, even the like, even the scenes where you're just watching Steve McQueen do rich guy stuff, like, like play polo. Right. <laughs> I was still like, damn, this is cool. And then like, and there's Faye Dunaway with another awesome hat, uh, with a crazy big old video recorder, just watching. It's great. Now, um, I would like to take a moment. To uh, you know, thank my co-host Alex for agreeing to do the podcast with me three years ago. Um, Alex, uh, reboot, deboot, I don't think would be the same quality or the same kind of podcast if you weren't one of my best friends and if you weren't here uh, taking on these movies with me. And I just want to say thank you for agreeing to do the podcast and sticking with it. Oh, thanks, man. That's uh, that's really nice to hear. I feel. The same way that we had like a interesting blend of stuff going on here. I think, I mean, we've covered horror. We've covered action, comedy, musicals, black and white, uh, silent films, like every genre. It doesn't matter. And as these remakes keep coming up, we really get to see some awesome hidden gems. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, aside from just like having a good time putting this together, those have been. I found out, I think I've watched some of my like favorite movies that I didn't had no idea about have been, I've only gotten to see because of this little project. It's been a really good excuse to watch a ton of stuff I never would have before. And I, I mean, I know from a, a few of our episodes, you've also discovered some hidden genres that you ended up liking. Yeah, well, I mean, I, yeah. I definitely had some that I hadn't explored at all. So like Westerns. I'm like, okay, I uh, got a good bit of those. Um, how's some more I'd like to check out. Maybe we start doing some noir stuff or something. Sure. I'm down. Um, I would like now to pass the mic over to a very special guest though. Uh, ladies and gentlemen from the time distortion fields of Hollywood and the great silver screen, Mr. Jimmy Stewart. Oh, I forgot that Jimmy Stewart was coming. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I forgive you, Alex. And I would just like to take this moment to thank all of the 
audience, the hearers, uh, you know, thank you for listening to Reboot Deboot. I know that Alex and Griffin are very appreciative of this, and these award ceremonies are they're a time when we can commemorate the work we've done, and I think it's special, and I think that movies are an important part of the human understanding, and I just want to say that they, they, these two boys, the men, Griffin and Alex, they're, they're doing something that I think is important, and uh, you should continue to uh, listen to the podcast, uh, and I listen to it uh, every fr- Friday. <laughs> and uh, Beyond, that's impressive. With, with that, uh, overall, movies are an important part of human expression. The, the telling and crafting of a story that, if done correctly, will stand forever is a living snapshot of time. <laughs> yep, yeah. yeah, that's what we're always saying. <sighs> now, we've had some powerhouses that have been on the list so far, and over the last three years... Griffin and Alex have had no easy choice. However, these movies, as an original idea and a remake, act as a bridge for the best versions of what can be accomplished when a movie and its remake are, are done correctly. And ladies and gentlemen, audience and hearers, the winners of best pair of movies are... Thank you, Don Nuts. Morning, Pinkerton. Name's Charlie Prince. I expect you heard of me. Well, I heard of a bald up whore named Charlie Princess. That you, Missy? I hate Pinkertons. It's 310 to Yuma. Ooh. Uh. Yep. <laughs> I mean, as a pair, as a pair of movies, 310 to Yuma is awesome. Yeah, both stories are great. Blew my socks off. The, uh, uh, yeah, we watched that. I sat down to watch the first one, loved it, except for the ending a little bit. And I was like hesitant for the remake, but it, man, it was better. Uh, It's rare that a remake is better than the original, and it's especially rare. To not only is it better than the original, but it actually it, it does exactly what a remake should do. It yeah. takes the original core concept and then it enhances on it. Yeah, it did. Like it didn't like. So it's not like the Invisible Man where it sort of like fully reinvents a concept and like executes that part flawlessly. It's like taking the original stuff and just saying, "Hey, we could actually improve upon this already great thing in a few key places, like making the ending believable." Uh, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> It's so good, and the yeah. performance is great. The sound is perfect. I mean, it's like three ten to Yuma. Best movies is pair original and remake. Definitely takes it. This was another one where uh, finding clips. I like. I knew I wanted the I hate Pinkertons thing, but then I ended up. I was like, oh, I just have watched several different ten minutes <laughs> bits of this movie. And it's probably like oh, when they're saving uh, when they're saving Russell Crowe from racist uh sure <laughs> oh god i went with luke wilson and uh yeah. and emilio estevez <laughs> i was like oh yeah uh all kinds of cool people just show up in this for a second it's great 
Alan Tudyk is the doctor in the reading. Yeah, like, right before he dies too. Oh god, and that was yeah. such a, like such a good move too. You take this like no nobody character from the first one, and then it's like Alan Tudyk blowing it away. Yeah, and everyone like, was like that. Everything, good. everything they added was beneficial. Having the kid show up there is like a new dynamic and was awesome. Uh, yeah. The relationship between Dan and Ben gets even better. It, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, great pair of movies. And the other pair of movies that win our best movies as a pair are... What are you doing here? What happened? Zorro. Zorro was here. I fought him and he left. He left! Do you recognize him? No. But he was young and vigorous. He was very vigorous, father. Yes. It's Zorro. It's Zorro. The Marco Zorro and the Antonio Banderas Zorro. Whew. These movies as a pair uh, are, are great. I mean, they are perfect for their time. They are captivating. They are compelling. Uh, it is... The original is so good and brings up so many great questions about, you know, uh, the disparity and, of the masses. And, you know, you have this man who's like fighting for the common people. And then to remake that, they didn't make, there are no missteps in the remake of Zora. You can watch both and both have the same imagery. They have the same ideas. And the mark of, of the uh, mask of Zora with Antonio Banderas, uh, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Um, it is so stylish. And the fact that they actually trained with the guy who trained Earl Flynn in Robin Hood. Like, yeah. I mean, the, the, the amount of, a, like, casting ability and acting. and Both of those movies are something you can just sit down and lose yourself into without any problems. They're fantastic. Definitely the best pair of, like, the swashbuckling sort of movies that we watch. Uh, this is, like, and then The Mask of Zorro is... I don't know where Antonio Banderas went. I want him back, but this is like the height <laughs> of his powers and like that sort of thing where he was doing a bunch of action movies, like El Mariachi and stuff was around here too. Right. He, but he kicked so much ass in it. And Captain Zeta Jones is great. And Anthony Hopkins also fantastic. And it's like building on top of how much I liked the original one or the Mark of Zorro. Yeah. It, and these are what remakes should be they they need to honor the original they need to take the source material and then they have to find a way to enhance upon it. they need to find a way to build on what already exists if you're going to remake if yeah. you're going to remake a reboot find a way to enhance what already has been done there aren't too many weeks where like it's extremely rare that i like come away being like blown away by both movies in a set uh these both of the ones we talked about here were like two weeks where that happened uh I'm used to the sort of rug pull, like an original source of source material. Original is awesome. And then Pierce Brosnan shows up out of nowhere and ruins it for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but nothing like that happened in either of these. They were just great the whole way across. Yeah. And, you know, I know there are people like the big one Alex and I talked about was if Seven Samurai is in a list, Seven Samurai has to win. But we stopped and we took a look. No, you and were at the body that. of work, I, I, I was <laughs> like Seven Seven Samurai has the Magnificent Seven remake, but then they also remade the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, and Zorro hasn't 
really been remade like that, and neither has 310 to Yuma. Um, so as of right now, the originals and the remakes specifically stand as perfect films. Yeah, I mean, with Zorro, it was a little, we kind of, I mean, we picked the the Mark of Zorro, not like arbitrarily, but there's like 30 fucking Zorro movies between the Mark of Zorro and the Mask of Zorro. Right. But, but ones that follow their exact plot. Yeah, these ones or like are like ones that have the yeah, the yeah. connected tissue, if you will. Um, so those are your best movies as a pair, folks. It is Three Ten to Yuma and Zorro for best original movies. It was Thomas Crown Affair and The Mark of Zorro for best remakes. It was The Invisible Man and Gone in Sixty Seconds. Best actor was Claude Rains for his performance in The Invisible Man and Gary Oldman in Dracula. Best Actress was Kim Darby and Elizabeth Moss. Worst original movie was Ocean's Eleven and Bad News Bears. Worst remake was Dog Pound and Death Wish. Uh, The best soundtrack went to The Lion King and Gone in 60 Seconds. The best cinematography was Thomas Crown and The Departed. The best practical effects went to The Thing and The Fly. The best VFX went to Total Recall and Doctor Strange. The best costumes were Three Musketeers and Snow White and the Huntsman. The best cast were Ocean's Eleven and The Departed. Uh, The best sound effects were The Batman and The Lion King Remake. The most problematic were The Nutty Professor franchise and The Death Wish franchise. And then the least compelling movies are The Munsters and Hitman. Mm -hmm. And that is out of three years and at least 100 episodes. Yeah. Like, going back through our list, there is really, like... I guess aside from practical effects, we really we've watched way more horror than this than this uh, set here conveys. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, that is like a sort of horror's lot, and to consistently be around like the six to eight out of ten mark. Not like right. Pretty good at times. Not really. Not really stealing the show too often though. It's ever the Invisible Man. That was definitely a horror movie. Uh, right. I'm I'm sure like when they remake the original Exorcist, we'll add that in. You know, like <laughs> maybe didn't they just do some sequel to it or something? They continued it. They continued the Reagan storyline, but they already did that with the three movie or the other two movies. So this is like a TV show now or something. Cool. But yeah. and you know, in a hundred episodes, we'll be back with another rebooties. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you feel about how about the award ceremony, Alex? Uh, good. Uh, I'm a little bummed that we couldn't get uh, Ricky Gervais to say insulting stuff about us, but maybe next year. Maybe next year. I did contact him. Um, he was too busy bugging Carl Pilkington, though. So yelling about being canceled uh, from an award show platform. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, the interesting thing about reboot deboot. When we started this, you came up with the name, and one of the first movies that we've been talking about for a while, like the two, like it was The Crow and Roadhouse, because I had heard they're remaking this. Okay, and you've now, been talking about like, Roadhouse. I have here. been lukewarm on Roadhouse the entire time. <laughs> I don't give a They're <laughs> here, Alec. Like, it's this year. This year we're getting The Crow, we're getting Roadhouse, and Nosferatu. I'm pumped about The Crow. Like, uh, I also isn't there a Blade movie happening too? They might be in a either this a year or next year. <clears throat> this year or next year, depending. Yeah, a lot so. more 
goth superhero movies. You know, I, I'm going to knock on wood on this, but maybe The Lost Boys? Hmm. I just don't think hey. a, uh, a movie remake of Spawn would be worthwhile. I, you, they've been trying, but they've been having problems. Like, Spawn is stuck in development hell. Yeah, that, that happens. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So, um, well, audience, hearers, listeners of all ages, uh, thank you for attending the first rebooties. Um, it was awesome. I know I had fun. Alex, how are you? Good. Great. Yeah. I, uh, ready to get out of this tux, though, you know? Yeah, me too. I'm actually wearing one for this. <laughs> um, you know, thank you guys for listening to us, for supporting us, for always being there. Uh, the podcast will always be free. This marks our 100th episode in three years. Hopefully we have 100 more in another three years. Uh, you can also head over to the Patreon for some paid content that is a little bit different than the normal stuff and there's going to be more stuff added to the patreon soon uh if you guys want to reach out we are on twitter at reboot deboot pod we are also on blue sky uh as reboot deboot um if there's any movies or remakes that you know about that we haven't watched uh maybe that you want to see uh message us and let us know and we'll see if we can sneak it in um we record and upload every friday and you can find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Anchor, wherever podcasts live. Um, and if there isn't someone who has the podcast, maybe show them. Maybe go, you know what? You need a good driving podcast. Or you need like some good noise when you're like cleaning or doing laundry or something. Here's this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reboot Deboot would appreciate it. Surely would. Surely would. Uh, Alex, do you have any uh, final words or closing statements for the award ceremony or our audience hearers? Uh, I don't know. Just, you know. Congratulations to all the winners, and don't watch Bad News Bears. Go bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree. Um, and until that time, we will see you guys next week. Let's make it awful, awful that podcast is filling your head with garbage. You should be in school. Well, we better get going. I wonder, will we ever see each other again? Who knows? God willing, we'll all meet again in Spaceballs too. to search for more money.